want to take the next 45 or 50 minutes to answer some uh, maybe more challenging questions and, and culturally relevant questions, not that Nike versus Adidas isn't culturally relevant, but um, submit any questions. My phone number's on the screen. Maybe I shouldn't have said that was my phone number, but maybe you gathered that by now. That is my phone number, and uh, we, can, uh, we can kick it off here. So um, I'm going to go to one of the first questions that came in this morning, and I don't think we necessarily have a specific format. I think it's anybody who wants to jump in and answer the question is uh, able to do that. Best advice you can give to a young person to remain strong in their walk with God who has seen many around them leave the church family and their youth group? Best advice you can give to a young person to remain strong in their walk with God who has seen many around them leave the church and their youth group? That was a hard shift from Nike yeah. to... Hey, I just want to say also to everybody, you know, this is just our opportunity or our attempt to make our speakers available and our speakers' lives available. So, you know, don't feel like any question is too simple either. Like, it doesn't have to be algebraic or anything, you know. You can ask anything. Like, you can ask how, I don't know, we met. Uh, well, you know, well, we won't do that, actually. <laughs> but, uh, and also, so thankful to have the Thorntons and, and Brother McKenzie here. Are you guys excited? Aren't you glad that they're with us? Why don't you guys, why don't you guys chime in on that? I'll start off with an answer then. Go ahead. <laughs> um, and this boils, this is probably going to be my answer for a lot of things, but I would say um, understanding the why of why you do what you do and why you believe of what you believe. Um, I think once you take the time to really dig into the scripture, talk to your pastor, talk to your youth pastor, and understand the why of everything, I think that will really help, help you stay strong in your faith, even though some others might be straying from it. I'll jump in because she does such a good job by leading. Um, I remember when I first, I first uh, got in the church, I kind of went through this in and out phase where I was like on fire for God, and then I, I backslid for a period of time, and then I came back. And when I, when I prayed back through to the Holy Ghost and recommitted my life to the Lord, I recommitted to a youth group of all girls. I was the only guy, and there were eight girls. Um, so getting through that as, as such was, 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 you know, difficult at times, but I found the truth of my experience to be so valid that it caused me to, to commit my entire life to the church, to my experience and, and to do whatever I can for my pastor. So I think when you have that truth of your experience, like evident in your life, it has a tendency to just give you such resolve. And not being afraid to reach out and express yourself to your leader is very, very important because the moment you feel you're isolated, it's a very dangerous place to be. So being vulnerable, like, you know what, I'm alone here, I, I need some help, that just creates a conduit for communication and healthy relationship. And that gives you your youth pastor or it gives your pastor something to work through. So just be open and just embrace the truth of your experience that this changed my life and I'm not leaving. Amen. We're going to continue on to the, uh, the next question. We've got a lot of questions rolling in. This one directly uh, was asked to be asked to Pastor Justin McKenzie. What were some of the struggles you faced as a young man trying to serve God, and how did you overcome them? What were some of the struggles I faced as a young man? How I over yep. What were some of the struggles you personally faced as a young man 
trying to serve God, and how did you overcome them? Yeah, so for me, um, I didn't grow up in church, but um, I guess to uh, Brother Thornton's comments, um, the resolve that came when I, I started serving God at 16 came from a really crazy background. And, um, you know, in my high school, uh, I don't say this in a bragging way, but I was the president of my high school, you know, after serving God. Um, I was a valedictorian. Um, those are some things that I accomplished after serving God. Um, my brain cells weren't working before I started serving God. So, <laughs> um, so but a resolve hit me when I, I began that process. Um, there was much peer pressure um, that I had to you know, face in high school. Anybody know what that's like? Um, and there's a lot of peer pressure, but I, I remember, um, like, you know, this morning I, I was kind of contemplating, you know, should I bring my Bible? Um, those guys didn't bring their Bible. Matt did, but, but anyway, I'm just kidding you. Um, but I, I just resolved back then that, um, you know what, if I'm in this, I'm really going to be in this. And, um, you know, I came out from the world. And so I took a really strong stand. And this was maybe, I'm not saying you should do this, but I remember taking my Bible school out of my backpack. And I, I, I carried that in school every single day throughout high school. And I purposely did it. And I, I read it before class started. And I know that's going to make you stick out, right? And do you know what I mean? That was the point for me because I had already crossed over. And I'm like, you know what? I don't really care what anybody else thinks. You can all stand against me if you want to. I'm just going to serve God um, whether you like it or not. And um, that was kind of what I determined. It was going to stick out anyway. And I just determined I wasn't going to be one of those people that was kind of, you know, in and out. I was just going to be all the way in. If they, they love me, they love me. They hate me, they hate me. But you know what? In my high school... Um, you know, I became my, my student council president. I mean, I'm Bible thumper guy at this time. I'm officially Bible thumper guy. And they still voted for me to be their president. And I became the valedictorian in my high school night. I spoke twice to my graduation uh, class and the student body and teachers. And I, I literally, I'm no word of a lie. And both of those messages was kind of funny. I spoke to them about Jesus Christ. I had people come to me after um, I've planted a church in Halifax. One guy I went to high school with and um, come to me and said, all through high school, I never said anything, but I admired the stand you took and uh, came all the way from Alberta to come to our church to experience um, what God was doing in my life. So what I would say to you, yes, the, probably the hardest struggle I had serving God was peer pressure. It's really embarrassing sometimes to be the only one, um, but I've learned that if you stand with God, God will stand with you. And uh, in high school, your friends will be gone, trust me. You probably won't, I, there's high school people I haven't talked to in 20 years um, since I left high school or however long it's been. But I'm telling you that God is still with me and uh, God will stand with you. Do not be afraid to stand for God. Um, there are all kinds of struggles. Every struggle your friends uh, face, uh, you will also face, but you um, have the privilege to face it with Jesus Christ on your side in the Word of God. Amen. We'll move on to the next question here. I've had a couple people submit questions um, this morning, but also leading up to this uh, panel today, um, asking about uh, tattoos and piercings and what the biblical stance is on that. I will start. I'm going to go in here. Came prepared. I have my laptop because I've addressed this question before. But you know, um, somebody somebody asked me one time, "Well, what if it's like a spiritual context? Like, is it fine?" And, and uh, 
So here's something that I've brought to our students before. Maybe it would be helpful for whoever asked this question. This was submitted by a student. Um, <clears throat> tattooing was something that God told the Old Testament, his Old Testament people not to do. Um, for example, Leviticus 19, it says, don't put any marks upon, your, upon you, for I am the Lord. So he, he, he refers to his, his nature and his, who he is. I am the Lord, so therefore don't do this. And so you know, some would suggest that it, it carries on into the New Testament. But, you know, at the same time, I think it's uh, in the same chapter or the next verse or something, it talks about uh, not shaving your beard and not eating red meat and we eat steaks and whatever. So you got to be consistent in the way you apply scripture, right? So, so you know, to me, um, when, you, when you move to the New Testament, there's a lot of talk about um, modest apparel and shamefacedness and adornment and which kind of gets into like the realm of I would say like makeup and and then there's you know the spirit of Jezebel all that kind of stuff that's at play in scripture and tattooing to me is just permanent makeup so you know if we have an issue with adornment and modesty and drawing attention to oneself via those things I think when you do it permanently it's that much more of an issue and then when it comes to piercing you know um, even more so than tattooing you are I would say you, that is where you get into defiling the temple of the Holy Ghost because, you know, it can quickly go from a little stud and you, I mean, you see people with big hoops and crazy things and thousands, you know, hundreds and thousands. So um, you got to draw the line and that's where we draw. We want to honor God with our bodies because uh, they belong to him, not just our spirits, but our bodies, Paul said in Romans. So, so that's how I would answer it. I don't know if anyone else wants to chime in. When I started uh, serving God, I remember I came to church and, you know, not growing up in church, I had, you know, wore a lot of jewelry and stuff. Not, not a lot of jewelry, but some, right? <laughs> you know, I wasn't like, you know, whatever. Um, but I did. I had like little beads and things on my, my arms. And I remember when I really started getting close to God and I would lift my hands. And this is no person ever told me this. I had no idea. I was so new to Pentecost. But I remember lifting my hands and I remember feeling um, heaviness or I guess the word back now would be shame. I remember feeling shame over the things um, that I was using to basically decorate myself. And anytime you put something on yourself, it's to try to... Um, better yourself or really it's a form of pride you're really trying to decorate your body because you're trying to make it more attractive and if you really think about why people wear stuff like that or tattoos or, or whatever it is um, generally speaking um, it's trying to um, make up for something that's not there a lot of people there's a lot of insecurity over what their you know their their own image and so they're decorating their image to try to make it more attractive and right now if you put tattoos or put a sleeve you know on your arm then all of a sudden it kind of gives you an edge or an edginess that somehow um, you know the person that's doing that feels like it gives them some kind of acceptance or advantage um, and so we have to understand what it is this is what's going on there's been an explosion of 
of piercings and tattoos in the last 10 years. I don't know if anybody's noticed that. And it, and it used to be maybe just one or two or hidden under your clothes. Now it's creeping up on your neck. You know, now it's on your face. And, and really what it is, it's, it's, as Pastor Matt said, it's, it's defiling the image of God. And it's Satan's attempt. It's his, really, it's his last attempt. I believe we're the last generation before the coming of the Lord. It's his last attempt to defile and to deface the image of God. Because you got to understand, Satan hates God. He hates God. So what can he do? He can't get at God. But what is he going to try to do? He's going to try to get at God's kids. And so he's trying to work in this generation, the one that God loves, the ones that God is after, and try to get us to deface our image and uh, make it really uh, uh, full of darkness. And, and you gotta, you got to admit, when you see somebody that's full of tattoos, um, it's not the person that you would hand your kids over to and say, hey, would you mind looking after my kids tonight? Um, you know why? Because there's a darkness that goes ahead with it. You know, tattoo shops and different places, you know, uh, where, where they're located and is usually very sketch. And, and uh, there's a reason for that. Um, it's because uh, there's a darkness associate, associated with that. And now, how many would like good design? Just be honest, you like design. I look at, sometimes I see tattoos and say, wow, that's a really cool design, but it doesn't belong on your body. And uh, it's, you know, I can see why people want to do it, but it doesn't belong on your body. Because anybody that likes design um, can recognize, you know, design is good whether it's on a billboard here or whether you put it on yourself. Like, I, I can see how there's a design element there, but that's not enough reason to go and take something like that and to put it permanently on your body. Great. Thank you very much. Moving on to the next question. Um, advice for people or, or a young person who lives in a home where their parents struggle with drug or alcohol addiction. So advice for young people who grow up in a home where their parents or guardians may struggle with drug or alcohol addiction. Can we maybe broaden it and just talk about that, but also just... Uh, you know, parents that don't serve God or don't champion church attendance sure. or things of that nature. Yep. Let's, let's kick it off, I guess, with the addiction part. And um, I think somebody else had submitted a question as well um, that says, um, sorry, let me look it up here. There was somebody else that had submitted a question basically saying um, that they feel like they are the spiritual leader in their house because their parents don't go to church. And so it creates an interesting dynamic where obviously they have different views on how to live life. So um, let's, let's kind of combine those two questions together. I know it's a little bit of a, of a heavy question to throw out there. First, I'll just say if, if you are here today and um, you are living a home like that and you are striving to serve the Lord and you're doing what you can to be a child of God, in that difficult environment. And uh, I wanna say that you're my hero, that you're trying your best to live for God in a home that is not conducive to that lifestyle. And you're the exact person that can turn into a powerful disciple of Jesus Christ because your resolve is very deep and your convictions are sound and uh, I want to say, first and foremost, that I applaud you for doing that very much. And I'll, I'll be brief with this, but I think that when we live for the Lord, and I, I, 
I hope I can speak to this context, but maybe in, in a bit broader sense as well, that we go through sometimes painful seasons that remain. And that's a painful experience to have that in your home. Um, I, I'm blessed with a great family, but I have other family that, you know, it wasn't uncommon to have cocaine and it wasn't uncommon to have drugs around. And these were formerly apostolic. So I'm, I'm familiar with it to an extent. It's painful, <clears throat> very painful. And I believe the Lord can help you endure seasons of pain and seasons of discomfort. And uh, just recently, uh, going through the scriptures, I found something that spoke to me about Jesus when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He was going through a painful situation, a painful time, and he did something, and he set a precedent to me that it spoke to me that the pain of the cross or the necessity of having to endure uh, his calling or, you know, the mission he went to the garden, he prayed, but he brought people with him. In that painful season, he brought people with him. And I think in your painful time, in, in Jesus set this example, that in extreme amounts of burden and pain that you have to shoulder, that you need to surround yourself with good people, positive people who will cheer for you, who will understand your dynamic and who will love you unconditionally. And the second thing that happened to Jesus in the garden is the scripture says that angels came and strengthened him in his pain. And I believe that when we go through painful times in life, we can get pain, we can get support from people around us, and we get support from heaven. And I don't want you to think today that you are the only one experiencing this because that's a voice from the adversary that says you're alone and no one else knows what you're going through and you're by yourself and deal with it. I tell you what, the Lord sees where you're at. And there are probably pieces in place in your life for you to access with a pastor, with a friend, with a group you could network with. And I would really strongly encourage you to focus on those positive aspects of the people in your life and becoming strengthened by heaven. And you watch God use you to help impact your family. And I think if you can keep that at the forefront of your mind that God can use my life to in some way, shape, or form impact my family in their greatest time of need, I think that also helps give you some, some momentum and just kind of pour some fuel on that fire. Amen. So you need people and you need heaven, and I want to applaud you again for doing what you're doing. I'm going to uh, combine a couple other questions that just came in. Um, one of them says this, I'm graduating from high school. I have no idea what I want to do. I feel pressure from my family to do what they think is best for me. I've considered Bible school, but I don't necessarily feel a specific calling or ministry yet. What should I do? And to link on to that, somebody else asked the question, how do you know, uh, how did you know you were called to dedicate yourself to the ministry? Um, maybe I'll share a few comments. So not sure what they want to do, maybe thinking about Bible college, but not even feeling specific about that. Is that kind of the question? Um, I think, I think pastoral insight and oversight is critical there. Um, so I think the parents were mentioned, but I think some significant or serious talks with your pastor about it, because oftentimes that spiritual authority and assuming your parents serve God, serve God, their spiritual authority too, but talking to your pastor about it is, is critical. So if you haven't already, I would encourage you to do so. Um, and sometimes the best thing to do when you're not sure is, you know, to press pause and, and do what you know to do. And, you know, I'm personally 
there's different views on this and you know, your parents' opinion and your pastors would weigh heavier than mine in your life, but I'm an advocate that if you're not really sure about what you wanna go do in university or whatever, maybe take some time and you know, save money, work, and then make an informed decision as opposed to just kind of going and, and just doing it to do it. Um, I think that's, that's kind of important. Um, and also I would just say when it comes to ministry, in some ways, you know, I, I'm still waiting for a moment, you know, where, you know, I know beyond shadow of a doubt that I had a cloud parting. You know, I'm, I'm not really expecting that moment. But uh, what I want to say to you is Bible college is wonderful and I think it's for a lot of people, but, but you need to serve in your local church and, and make yourself so invaluable that if you don't show up a Sunday, something won't get done. I think that's so critical. That's basically my story Absolutely. is to just serve and to be involved and, and to help wherever necessary. And, and that just opens doors and it brings you to the place where, where God wants you to be. I think more often than not, um, so I don't want to commandeer if somebody else has a comment. I seem to be having problems with my mic here. Um, I would just say this, that forget about um, making money. You need to make money, but I would answer the question this way. I would, I would find out what God is calling you to do, and if you don't know what that is, as, as Pastor Matt has mentioned, it's through serving. The only way to find your call is to start serving somewhere. So you serve the general will of God, which, you know, someone explained it to me years ago like a funnel. You know, if you make the shape of a funnel, um, you look at a funnel, it's wide at the top and narrow at the bottom. So when you first start serving, you just serve anywhere. You do anything you're asked. Um, but over time, as you do anything you're asked, you start to find things you're good at. And so this is how you find your calling, but it starts generally. You do all the things you don't want to do. You do all the things nobody else wants to do. You just do it. Um, I can give a hundred examples of young people um, uh, that have started in the general will of God and are now doing very something very specific. But God doesn't employ lazy people, so if you won't pick up a vacuum and vacuum, and then God's not likely going to speak to you. But if you'll get busy doing something for God, then God will give you a very, very, very general, a very specific uh, thing to do for him. Um, and so it starts like that. But I would say this. I would say that forget about making money, because all of us are called to the kingdom first. The Bible says first the kingdom. I would, I would look at serving your ministry. Find out what you can do for God. And here's how my experience has been. As, a, as I do the will of God, in my, in my walk, whatever he's called me to do, then all of a sudden he'll pass by that direction, everything I'm supposed to do to supplement the kingdom. Because it's not supposed to be your job first and then the kingdom. It's supposed to be your kingdom first and then your job. If you put the kingdom first, God can bless your job. But if you put your job first, then all of a sudden you're going to find that everything you do with your work is going to frustrate your life with church and you're going to segregate your, your church life and your work life. And that's not the will of God. In fact, I know a guy that he was doing just this very thing, serving in the local church, serving his ministry. God called him to get a business degree. God didn't call him to Bible school. He graduated, um, you know, four years in a row as the top business student in the number one uh, undergraduate school in Canada at the time. And today he makes very good money, but you never even know that he has a secular job by the way that he serves the kingdom. Honestly, it's almost funny to think of, but uh, he, has, he has really blessed the kingdom kingdom of God, but he's put the kingdom first. So I would say, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you.
Still not on. Okay, there we go. Um, I just want to add that you shouldn't be afraid of submission either. Um, today's society is goes against everything submission. And if you have a pastor over you and you're leaning toward one way and he points you in a different direction, don't be as afraid to follow his lead. I, I believe strongly that blessing always follows submission and you'll never go wrong. God won't um, lead you astray by being submissive to your pastor and your life will be blessed and you will go in the direction that you need to go. Amen. I just felt to add that. Amen. So I'm going to come from the opposite angle. Somebody submitted this question. What should you do when you feel something very strong calling you or you feel a strong calling in your life, but you don't know how to act upon it? So coming from the opposite side, not that you don't know what you want to do, but that you feel a very strong calling to something. Now, what do I do? I think it's at that moment when you feel something specific that you get very specific with your senior leader and um, speak to them about what you feel specific about because he's in your life for a reason that's helped to direct you. So when you're beginning to speak specifics, God can come alongside of your pastor and as your pastor's wife and start to help shape and guide you and lead you. And to, to the point on submission, that'll really test your submission. I remember when Emily and I felt that God was calling us to Quispam Sis. We first felt that, um, believe it or not, two years before we before we left. And uh, I remember going to my pastor with a very specific feeling that this is what we feel to do. And Pastor Brewer was like, well, let's wait. Waiting has a tendency to really bring some things to the surface. <laughs> going on him, going on him, like running into God's will on impulse is like suicide, a spiritual suicide. So pastor's like, wait. It's all right, we'll wait. Six months later, pastor, have you thought about or prayed about or considered what I brought to you six months ago. He said, yes, I have, but let's just keep praying. And then six months later, I asked him again. Okay, I hope this is okay. And then he's like, yeah, let's keep praying and let's keep, let's keep talking to God about it. I was a year into it. It seriously got to the point I remember a conversation with my wife driving to work saying, this is all I'm ever going to do is build houses. We'll never get there. That'll never happen. That same summer, I had talked to my pastor again. He's like, yes, you know what? Let's set some things up. Let's make some conversations. Let's talk to who we have to talk to to see if we can get this happen. In that span of time, my senior pastor, my, my bishop, my father in the gospel, Terry Brewer, ended up feeling he was being called to pastor another church. And I felt the Lord speak to me, and it was one of the hardest things for me to ever absorb from God. The Lord spoke to me and says, if you'll help him get to where he has to be, I'll help you get to where you have to be. So I had to put my, what I felt was my calling on hold for a little while and serve our local church in the in the in the absence of our senior pastor who left to pastor another church where he currently is now. 
But I say this, I say all that to say this, you feel it, it may be next week, it may be next month, it may be two years down the road. But as soon as your pastor's like, yes, let's do it, go in submission. Brother Tim Gaddy said that one time, if you want to do anything in God's kingdom that you feel propelled to do strongly, go in submission. Don't rush into it. Let God lay it out for you. And I can say that was like one of the greatest things we ever had to, or we ever experienced was the moments when we were like frustrated. It didn't feel good at the time, but nothing does like that. Looking back on it, those are formative moments in our walk with God and giving us some deep resolve. And it's, it's played into what God's doing right now in the local area that we're in. So yeah, you can feel the call of God and feel strongly and want to do it, but God may slam the brakes on you and say, now let's wait and let's see what rises to the surface and work some things out of you and get some submission into you. And then we can release you in true submission to the will of God. There's often an interim period between the anointing and then the culmination of the anointing in scripture. And that's, this is something we hear often, but you know, David went back to the fields and tended sheep between his anointing when Samuel anointed him when he was coronated as king. And he went through a lot of difficult things in that period, uh, you know, with Saul chasing him and all that stuff. And God, but God elevated him in his time, uh, in his interim time, you know, between when he felt to do something, when he was anointed for a purpose, and then when it actually came to pass. So you, know, you can't despise the interim and uh, just be comfortable in that. Settle into that season and learn what you need to learn because what you need for the culmination of it is discovered and found and, and given to you in between. So That's wonderful. And it was a uh a few years ago at Youth Explosion, uh, Brother Court Chavis, he preached the message, the anointing of frustration. And it was on a Saturday morning, very similar to this setting. So if you want to hear more about that, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. It was called the anointing of frustration. Uh, another question that came in, what is the importance of music that we listen to and how does it affect our walk with God? What is the importance of music that we listen to and how does it affect our walk with God? As somebody who, um, my ministry does revolve a lot around music at church, I first want to say that the music that you listen to really does impact your soul on a level that you don't realize superficially. Um, whenever we're putting music on and we're listening to music that has a, a really angry undertone, it really does impact our spirit and it doesn't put us in the mindset to worship God or even to go about our day in a way that shines our light for God. So by listening to positive music that uplifts the name of Jesus, that, that um, expresses our adoration for him, that speaks to the power and the might of the Lord that we serve, that really sets us up to go about our day and to walk in the light like we're called to do. So I think that there's a lot of importance on the music that we listen to, even though it might seem like, oh, it's just harmless. It's just, it's, it's just a fun little song talking about, you know, how much I love this person or that person. It really does take your attention and your focus off of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think there's a lot of emphasis that needs to go into what you listen to. This is, can I just say really quickly, like this is something that oftentimes you don't even realize the lyrics and the messages of what you're listening to. And, you know, Brother Brewer mentioned, uh, Braden mentioned TikTok last night and, you know, all these, what are they called? Reels are all over. 
And I have seen people that have done these reels where they take these popular like real songs that keep on getting used again and again and again, and they just like display the lyrics. You don't even realize often or sometimes at least what, what it is that you're inputting into your spirit, inputting into your mind. And so um, even things that, that are, you know, often the popular things and even sometimes things that seem innocent actually, actually can be quite sinister. Yeah. Go ahead, brother. Um, I would um, also add this, that, you know, my kind of ponderings over music over the years, I'm not a musical person. I don't listen to music. Um, you know, it's not, even in Christian music, I don't play music in my car. Just not my, not my thing. Um, but I'm impacted by music. Um, but I would say this about music is that uh, music always seeks to, to um, basically manifest something, okay? So if you listen to rock type of music, if that's the genre of music that you're listening to, it will seek to manifest. It's not, it's not content just for you to go in your ears. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come out somewhere. It's going to come out in the way you dress. It's going to come out in your attitude or whatever. Um, when I grew up, my brother listened to death metal music. And so uh, consequently, his hair grew to, the, to his waist. Um, I'm, I'm for real. He, he had cartoons or, or posters about, you know, these uh, rock guys that were on the wall. Their hair was also to their waist. He started to dress like those guys. And I, I, all I can tell you is every spirit seeks to manifest. So the Holy Spirit seeks to manifest in your life. It will make you pure. It will make you holy. But any other spirit that's out there... Music is very spiritual. It will seek to manifest in your life. So um, it doesn't matter what genre it is. Um, you got to understand that Satan wants an avenue by which he can work. And if he can get into side of our, our minds and our lives, our generation, then all of a sudden he can begin to use us to accomplish his will. We just need to resolve here this morning that we're going to let God accomplish his will through us. We don't need to let the world try to use us as, their, as its pawn. Uh, we need to be be a useful vessel for God to use and don't don't allow that music that really is inspired by Satan to try to manifest through your life and through your mind yeah I just want to add one more thing too um, and it is that you know sometimes we entertain the things that if we acted out what we're listening to or or you know even in the case of what we watch you know we would be in in sin and uh, you know Paul talks about at the end of end of Romans 1 I believe it's not just those that do such things that are worthy of, uh, you know, punishment and judgment, but also them that take pleasure in them that do them. And, you know, I think of Samson, who he was uh, a Nazarite, and he was to not, cut, not to cut his hair, touch dead things, or, or drink strong drink, yet he hung around in vineyards. You know, so he's hanging around the things. You know, he's not necessarily participating at the beginning, but he's hanging around the things that if he were to actually reach out and take hold of the things that he's near, then he would be in sin, right? So, so sometimes I, I think we, we listen to things that, you know, um, if we were to do them, it's sinful. But Paul tells us that just to take pleasure in it, it actually isn't in and of itself. It's sinful um, in, at the end of Romans 1. So something with that real quick. Um, when I was growing up, we used to, I didn't always do the right thing. Okay, don't shame me on that. I was never, I wasn't an angel, all right? Um, I would get this, and I'll, I'll be, it'll, it'll be quick. You know, would, you're, would you let pastor listen to that with you? And i like, you know what? My pastor would never want to listen to this. He would never watch this. He would never go there. And it became, as, like, as I grew up, 
you know, it became this, this filter, like, you know what, pastor wouldn't like this. You know, and if pastor doesn't appreciate it, surely the Lord doesn't like it either. And it caused me to kind of like have this sense of conviction that I probably shouldn't do this. So maybe something you could ask yourself was, you know, would my pastor sit down and like go through seven hours of TikTok? No, probably not. <laughs> I, I should probably recall a little bit, so. Yeah, I think it was, uh, I don't know if, if Brother Anthony Mangan said it when you were at POA, but when he talked about social media use or uh, what you watch, his line very similar was, uh, Jesus, would you like some popcorn, right? You know, if you're sitting down getting ready to watch a movie, would you hand Jesus some popcorn to watch it with you? And would you feel okay with doing that? So I think that's great. Uh, moving on to, uh, I'll combine another couple questions here. Um, how do I face school with all the temptation and peer pressure when you are almost the only one following God? And then somebody said, I'm the only Pentecostal at my school. It's hard to find good friends. What advice do you have on that? So, you know, going to school, being one of the only young people serving God, trying to uh, connect with people, fit in, and uh, all of that sort of thing. I'll just jump in. Um, I'll just quickly say this, and they can jump on it. Um, when it comes to um, friendship, you've got to show yourself friendly. Um, that's a, you know, that's what connecting is. People don't really look at the fact that you're Pentecostal or not Pentecostal. Being a friend is just being a friend. So show yourself friendly if you want to have friends. If you don't want to have friends, don't show yourself friendly. Um, but just be a friendly person. They're not going to look at you because you wear a skirt and like, oh, I'm not going to be friends with them. So just work on that. The other thing I would say, say is this, is that um, try uh, to grow in your walk with God as far as your self-worth. Because um, what, what our generation needs is some people that really know what true self-worth is. Everybody else is getting their self-worth from TikTok or, or all this other jazz and they're trying to be like everybody else to fit in. But why don't, why don't you just be an original? Because the chances are if you're an original, uh, they haven't seen one like you before and they'd be pretty interested in you. So why don't you just be yourself. Find your, find your self-worth that God has given you. The only way you can find that is to get a hold of God and, and start to just embrace the fact that you're different and that there's people around you that would love to know who you are and, and get to experience life through the lens of you. And so I think that's a great formula um, for success. Um, like I said, don't, don't try to be, be anybody else. Just be you. You're the only version of you that exists. And so just be that and realize that you're, you have such value. And uh, I think what that does is make you attractive. I think what makes people um, unattractive is when they're just copies of everybody else, right? And uh, so just be the best version of you that you can be. I think in addition to that, too, I, that was absolutely great. And I think we also need to shift our mindset a little bit and not see ourselves as the island. I'm the only person in my school that looks like this. I'm, not, I'm the only person in my school that believes this. But shift your mindset to realize, hey, I'm the light. Yeah. These people are going to ask me questions. I need to know why I look like this. I need to know why I believe like this so I can answer those questions and be a light in my school or in my workplace. I'll just slide in real quick that uh, even where I work, I'm the only apostolic Christian. I know I'm a pastor, but I'm a Christian first. I'm the only one there in the, in the, in the shop that, you know, professes any kind of faith. And uh, like Emily just said, you know, there's great opportunity in there to say, look what I can do here. Look how I can impact the, the, uh, the relationships in my life. 
But what that does is in that moment when I realize I'm the only one, it leans me back into the reality that I need to make sure that when I'm with my Christian family and I'm with my church and I'm with those who believe the same things I believe, those are crucial times that I extract as much relational time as I possibly can so it can help me when I go back to work the next day that I'm, I'm pulling from a reserve that, hey, I had youth last night or I had church on Sunday and I had a great time with my friends as well. So I think our perspective, it's no fun to be alone, but really you're not alone. Uh, you have a church family, a pastor, a youth pastor, a district. You have people who love you, and you have the, you're a catalyst to do something fantastic in a place where God can really use you. So I think in the moments when you're feeling lonely at, at, at school, those are real moments, and I don't, I don't downplay those. But let that kind of propel you to say, I want to have some good quality time this Sunday or this Thursday or Wednesday whenever I'm with my youth group and fill my heart with those good relationships. So you're not alone, and I believe you can make an impact in your environment. Can I just add a comment too? Like if you do have friends at your school that are also in your youth group, I think it, it kind of reveals a double mindedness and a fakeness if you won't even like wave at your church friends at school or sit with them at lunch, if you avoid them and you look the other way in the hallway when you're walking past, like that, that really communicates to all the other friends that you hang around that, you know, what is this all about? I know he goes to church. I know they know one another, you know. I remember observing that even being in high school, there was, you know, individuals that just didn't want to associate with the rest of us. And uh, I, I think at the end of it, the, the people that they were friends with, they, they realize the shallowness there. So I, I think be real and embrace your other friends or your church friends at school. I think that also in today's age, I'll say, um, people really crave authenticity and even when I was in high school, there were a couple girls from our youth group who were kind of straying. And I was shocked one day when someone from our class came to me and said, we just really like that you are who you are. You're not trying to be anyone else. You're just, you're a Christian and, and you don't try to be anything but that. And, and people really appreciate that. And, and God can use that if you just be comfortable, like Emily said, know what you believe and why you believe it, and just be okay with that. Don't, don't try to be like them. They really do appreciate that. Um, just can we, I'm just curious if we could address, and maybe, I don't know if there'd be a lot of commentary, but I think that maybe an underlying question here, or maybe to even take it a step further is, there's a lot of like social pressure, and there's a lot of agendas, uh, even from you know, you said 20 years, I'm a little over 10 years away from since high school. I know that things have shifted so much culturally in this past decade, in this past handful of years to where students are being, you know, compelled to try to think certain ways um, when it comes to, you know, um, LGBTQ stuff and trans stuff and all these issues that people face. I don't know if anyone ha would have any comments about how to walk through that, or maybe there is a question about that. The, the last question that just came in, uh, or just the question that just came in most recently, I should say, um, I get bullied at school for not supporting the LGBTQ, and how should I handle that? It's a big question, I'll, I'll repeat that. I get bullied at school for not supporting the LGBTQ, and how should I handle that? I'll just start it by saying the scripture be wise as serpents, harmless as doves comes to mind. Like, we, we don't need to go and intentionally pick fights and, and offend everybody. I think if somebody comes to you personally 
and asks you your opinion, um, I think in that context, it's appropriate to say, you know, I believe the scripture, I believe what the Bible says about it. Um, you know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't put our faith on display, but there's more important issues when it comes to our faith than whether or not we support this or that. You know, the gospel, you know, uh, Jesus Christ, the person, of, you know, who Jesus Christ is to us, our testimony, those are things that we put on display. I don't know that we need to go and, and you know, be like the whatever Baptist church down south and like picket, you know, sandwich boards and like, I don't think that's the mentality that a Christian should employ. That's my, that's my opinion. Yeah, I'll jump on that. And I, I think that, I think that, you know, first and foremost, we're for people. And what the world is trying to do for, to us right now is to get us to be against something. But we're not against anything. We, there's things we stand against, yes. But we're for something. We're for people. So I think if this is in the forefront of your mind, that look, when the, when the world is trying to pitch you or culture is trying to pitch you against each other and divide you and say, well, what side do you stand on? Then you have to remember that I'm not a, I'm not I'm not against somebody. Jesus Jesus was for people. You'll have a hard time in the Scripture finding a place where Jesus was picking on anybody but the Pharisees. But as far as the sinners were concerned, he was for them. He ate with them. Eat with your LGBTQT whatever community. Eat with them. Why? Because we're for them. We love them. They're not, we're, not, we're not against them. They're just struggling through a generation that is full of confusion. So I think that if you just love people, I think they'll have an awfully hard time trying to pit you against one another, make, ostracize you, and make you, um, make you out to be the bad guy. In fact, I think if anybody in your high school ought to, ought to know, people ought to know that you, they lo you love them, it ought to be you. It ought, they, you ought to make that message so clear and that's not bending your convictions you're able to say look I don't I don't agree with that but I love you does that make any sense I don't think we have to get all um, dragged down into the weeds and all this because that's what Satan wants and, and then when we connect with somebody when we've made friends with them then we can share our faith with them and we can help them to understand what God wants for their life but let's just love them remember this don't let them make you be against them just because you don't agree with them doesn't mean you're against them my child does all kind of things that he shouldn't do but I'm not against him I'm for him I'll combine uh, three questions here. We'll probably have time for maybe one more after this. Um, why is it important for Pentecostals to wear skirts? Second question going on to that um, is, what should I say when someone asks why I wear skirts all the time? I'm going to assume these are coming from females. And <laughs> not all Pentecostals have to wear skirts all the time. <laughs> Just letting you know. I've yet to. Anyway. Um, I've been going to church for a few years now. I've changed a lot. Since I first started coming, I've received the Holy Ghost, I've been baptized, but I've struggled with holiness standards. When I go to school, I still feel awkward if I'm wearing a skirt and I'm trying to dress modestly. But then I feel like I'm living a double life between school and church. What should I do? I've been kind of waiting for this question. <laughs> I've been thinking about it over the past couple days, actually, um, knowing that we were doing this. And... Um, We've talked about it a lot in youth, and I've done Bible studies with girls, and I, I would say that I never, never ever push that on them, and I just find it so interesting how when someone really starts to dig into the Word, that will come to them. And one resource that I absolutely love um, 
for these questions is Because We Are His, written by our very own Raymond Woodward. And if you can get your hands on that, you need to read it. Get with a leader um, in your church and read through that. And that will bring so much clarity to you. And when you know why you do what you do, it will change the way you view Christianity and your walk with God. And I just, get your hands on that. Because We Are His. It's online. Um, I don't know, is it on the church? You could just search Because We Are His, Raymond Woodward, and... Three easy payments of 1995. No, it's completely free. <laughs> and, and we have some prints probably too, but anyway. <laughs> you take Visa. Yeah. No. That's not true. <laughs> it, comes, it comes down to me to, you know, what is the nature of modesty? Is modesty just dress or is modesty something deeper than that? And it kind of goes back to tattooing and, and piercings and, you know, music manifesting how we dress. Modesty is about, um, you know, whether we are look at me or whether we are, you know, look at him. Yeah. Right. So, and, and when it comes to clothing, there's certainly biblical principles that we apply. And that's why we dress the way that we do men and women. Um, there's biblical principles there and, and scriptures and, and, and all that precedence from the Bible. But, but ultimately, it's this, it's, this, it's this idea of modesty, not just, you know, I don't think it's modest, you know, costly apparel. I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's modest, you know, to have a, for, for a guy to wear a $5,000 suit. I don't think that's modest either. That's my opinion, you know, uh, or to, you know, alligator shoes for 10 grand or something like, that's not modest, but I don't think anybody has those shoes on, so we're safe here this morning, <laughs> but, but it's, it's look at me, look at me, or, or look at him, and when it comes to, to clothing and females and all of that, um, we, have, we have decided that as a line to honor God, and if you don't have that, it's, where is the line? And, you know, slacks turn into shorts, turn into, you know, there is no line beyond that, uh, it seems. And so we, we do that in an effort to honor God and, and not draw attention to ourselves, and instead be able to point toward, toward him. It's all about him. Right. Right. I just want to throw something out there. Um, it should be good. Um, I, would, I would encourage... Um, if, if this is an area that you're hungry to, to grow in, um, get together with your youth group. Um, study it personally, but get together with your youth group and talk it through um, so you can fully digest it. Um, we got to understand that our generation is pretty illiterate biblically. Anybody would agree with that? Pretty illiterate biblically, not just on this, but some things become lost um, when we don't take the time to, to understand them. That's not just talking about holiness, but I could take you back 50, 60 years and every single person, every single lady in the community wore a dress, right? Because culture has shifted. So we just got to study it. We got to understand it, understand why God put it there. And when we understand why God put it there, then we'll be able to fully value it and fall in love with it and recognize it's our greatest way that we can represent God in the world uh, is when we withhold his image. This is what this is all about. This is all about being made in his image. Why? Not so God can limit you, so that God can invest in you and so God can put you into something greater. That's all this is 
about. None of this is about rules. It's about the line or it's about the rule so God can use you. That's what it's all about. And so at the end of the day, when it comes to modesty and all of this, what that is about is being more useful for God. Being the best version of you. And the creator knows all about how to make that happen because he created us. So let's, let's find out what God's idea is and let's try to model that instead of looking at our culture and comparing to our culture. Because like I said, I could take it 50, 60 years ago and culture was very different. And it will be if the Lord tarries 50, 60 years more. Just slide in really quick. Um, Brother Victor Jackson made a powerful statement at, in his Congress message when he spoke about John the Baptist. He said, John looked different. His clothing and his apparel was completely different than anybody around. And that distinctive look was a, it served as a, you know, a catalyst that drew crowds and gave him the platform of the opportunity to, you know, speak about Jesus. So I think sometimes our perspective of why we do what we do, you know, it can shift that it gives you the opportunity to turn that question into a form of, well, this is why. And that, believe it or not, leads you down a road of Bible study. Or that can lead you down a road of, of conversion. And maybe, maybe the, the enemy would like, the devil would like you to think that, you know, people are going to ask these questions and these are going to be weapons in his hand to confuse you and to hurt you and to, and to cause you to be, you know, pulled down. But, you know, God can take that, 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 mindset that attack from the adversary and he can turn that around and use that for good and give you the opportunity that you know what I look like this I act like this and I am this through what the word teaches me and that perspective allows me to share this with somebody in a positive light and perhaps who knows maybe maybe yes maybe no some people haters gonna hate that's how it's gonna be you're not gonna get everybody so don't don't worry about that but it could possibly be that you get that one person who has that question, you're comfortable, your perspective's right, and you're going to tell them, hey, this is why I am what I am and why I do what I do. I just want to add one more thing, too. Um, and I know the question originally was about skirts. Um, so I, think, I feel like a lot of questions, a lot of people wonder about, you know, outward, ex uh, outward appearance. It doesn't just apply to girls at all, so it applies to guys. And um, the question before this, I know we discussed a little bit about the LGBTQ, you know, other things that are going on in culture. And culture today, and I know that you guys experience this in your everyday walks, but culture today is trying so hard to blur those lines between male and female. And we know that in the beginning, God created a male and a female. And culture is trying to blur those lines. And as Christians, it's really important for us to take a stand to look like a male, look like a female. Um, and what Brother Justin just said, you know, 50 years ago, all of the women wore skirts. That's how they were identified. So if, if that's the best way that I can identify I'm a female is by a skirt or a dress, then I feel like that's uh, an important thing for me to put on my body. Amen. How many of you have enjoyed this panel this morning? This has been wonderful. I want to thank you all for submitting the questions that you did. There were actually very many questions, probably over a dozen or more that we didn't get to answer this morning. So I would encourage you to talk to your pastors if you have any questions that we didn't get to today or whoever is the spiritual leadership in your life. We've got a quick turnaround. Our general session starts in five minutes. So if you need to stretch, if you need to go finish your coffee out in the lobby, whatever you got to do, we're going to reset the stage and we'll be back in five minutes.